So if you claim to be a Christian, but you aren't part of a local church when you're able, are you actually a Christian? Now that's a good question for today's Wisdom 8 to 8, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you who are so wise? You know, it's a valid question that's asked in a variety of ways. Do Christians have to go to church? Do Christians have to become church members? You know, sign their names on the dotted line. Uh, if they don't go to church, are they really Christians at all? Well, there's a lot behind these questions and even more when trying to answer them in a biblical way. The fundamental qu uh, question behind them is what is the relationship of one's salvation to the church? Now, I want to start right off with a quote from John Stott, the late pastor and theologian of All Souls Church in London. And this is from his commentary on the book of Acts. Luke says a number of times, and the Lord added to the church those being saved, or a great many people were added to the Lord. Now here's what Stott said about that. The Lord did not add them to the church without saving them. No nominal Christianity at the beginning, nor did he save them without adding them to the church. No solitary Christianity either. Salvation and church membership belong together. They still do. There, there are two ways that theologians have thought about the church, the visible church and the universal church. The visible or local church is what we meet when we see a group of people who covenant together for regular public worship our Christian education and administer the ordinances of the church in baptism and the Lord's Supper, do uh, evangelism and then serve the needs of their communities. The universal church is a heavenly assembly of everyone, past, present, and future, who belongs to Christ's new covenant kingdom. The way anyone joins a universal church is through salvation in Christ. Peter put it this way, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So everyone who has received mercy from God through trust in Christ and the forgiveness of their sins is automatically and irrevocably a member of the universal church. The visible or local church is an earthly assembly that testifies to the reality of the universal church. Now here's what I mean. If I'm converted from my alienation from God uh, to becoming his child, if I repent of my sin, of disobedience to God, and trusted in Christ's death and resurrection for my right standing with God, then I am a member of the universal church and want to give that testimony uh, by joining with others who have received the same mercy. If I'm a member of the universal church, I want to make that a reality by joining a local visible body of believers. My salvation is seen there and displayed there and enhanced there and protected there in the company of other believers. As Jonathan Lehman put it, if a person says that he or she belongs to the church but has nothing to do with a church, he or she might rightly wonder if he or she really does belong to the church. The local church is where we see, hear, and rub shoulders with the universal church member. The local church is the visible earthly outpost of the heavenly assembly called the universal church. 
Now, I suspect that standing behind the question might be some hesitation about the idea of church membership. Someone might ask, why in the world do I have to belong to a church if I'm saved? Can I just read the Bible and live my life as a Christian? Do I have to belong to a church? If I'm saved, do I really have to go to church? Well, rather than addressing these kinds of questions, I think it would be more profitable to show how the New Testament implies church membership in a number of ways. Now, I want to say about these arguments that they're cumulative, that is, they have to be taken together, and they lean heavily in the direction that church membership is a spiritually healthy expectation for believers so that we grow up into the stature of Christ. The church is the place where God's people labor to form Christ in each believer. Now, I'm taking these points from a lecture that I had during my seminary days in biblical spirituality. In his lecture, a professor, Donald, uh, Dr. Donald S. Whitney, laid out very plainly what the New Testament says about church membership, and I've never forgotten the important role of belonging to a church for my own spiritual growth. Now, a disclaimer for those of you who have been disappointed in your church or churches in general. I know there are plenty of people wary of church leaders and weary of church membership that misuses and abuses others. I've seen people wounded in the church where they, they, they came uh, looking for health and healing. Gossip has destroyed reputations, conflicts have left people emotionally cold toward one another for decades. I agree with young, uh, one young Christian who said that Christians can be just as nasty as the pagans that he works with. A number of Christians have told me that they prefer their non-believing friends to their Christian friends. I get that. We expect so much more from professing Christians. Now, maybe you have logical objections to church membership. Perhaps you're ready to point out that there's nothing in the New Testament calling believers to sign a piece of paper. Or you object to an elitist attitude that says who's in and who's out, that the church ought not to be that way because it's the Lord's business. Well, before we go any further, perhaps you might think of ways that our culture has contributed to objections like these. First of all, we live in a Lone Ranger attitude that says, I don't need anyone. I don't need to depend on anyone else for something that I could do on my own. Getting entangled with other people's problems and church politics only slows you down. And then there's commitment phobia. Uh, phobia. Uh, this is the person who wants to keep her options open because she suffers from FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. Well, before you give up on the church, listen afresh to the evidence from the New Testament about the meaning and purposes that Christ has for you and the local church. Let's start with the definition of a church. It's nothing more than a community of all true believers for all time. Uh, there are so many things that can be said about the church, but I believe that things that tell us about Jesus' relation to the, uh, relationship to the church matter most. He loved the church. He gave himself up for her. He died for the church, and he pledged to build the church himself, and even the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. He is the head of the church, and he fills it with his presence. When believers covenant together to form a local visible church, they work together to reflect the power of the gospel that transforms lives, to display the beauty of Christ, and to join his purposes and work in the world. So in this episode, I want to give you some indicators of church membership 
that we see in the New Testament. And in the next episode, coming in about a couple of weeks, I'll give you seven benefits for joining a local church. Now, the first New Testament indicator of church membership is that the practice of keeping a list of widows makes sense only in the context of membership. With limited resources, the apostles wanted to ensure that they fulfilled the mandate of their Lord to care for the widows of the church. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.9, we read these words, let a widow be enrolled, there it is, a list, if she is not less uh, than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. These women were without any means of support from a husband, presumably dead, no sons, no other family members to care for them. They qualified for assistance and they were actually put on a list so that the apostles knew who was eligible for the financial and other kinds of uh, care they might give. Second, church discipline only makes sense in the context of membership. Church discipline, like the kind we see Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 5, is perhaps the hardest kind of discipleship for the church. But think of it this way. In our house, when our parents needed to clear the air about some infractions of family policy or someone like, well, of course, my brother not fulfilling his chores, we had to have a family meeting. And that sent chills down our spines. Now, I suppose you've had serious family meetings too. So how would you have liked it in a family meeting if your father or your mother decided to invite the next door neighbors over to watch? Well, of course you wouldn't. Serious family meetings are only for family members. So no outsiders are to be allowed. The same principle applies to the church. When there's an important matter to discuss, Members who are committed to the well-being of the whole church and the individuals in it are the ones that you want there at the meeting. They are invested because they sacrifice for the mission of the church and they see themselves as family members. The same principle applies when conflict arise, arises between church members. Jesus said, go to your brother or your sister alone. Keep the circle small. If it needs to expand, it only expands to family members. Now third, the meaning of the word join in Acts chapter 5 verse 13 only makes sense in the context of membership. Acts 5 tells the story of Ananias and Sapphira who sold some land and decided to give the proceeds to the church. But rather than giving it all, they kept some of it back for themselves secretly. Now keeping some back is not wrong. What was wrong is to keep it as a secret and say they gave it all so that they look more generous in the eyes of the church when, when they really weren't. In other words, they lied, and not just to the church, but to the Holy Spirit. It's a very sad story because God punished them severely and publicly for their sin of deception. Both husband and wife died right there on the spot for lying. When the word got out to the community about what had happened to this couple, even though the church was held in high esteem, Luke says, no one dared to join the church. Indeed, they understood, the people understood that God means business with his people about how they are to live life as Christ's followers. Plus, the word for join in Luke is the same word used to describe the marriage between Adam and Eve. In a figurative sense, they were glued to each other by God. Our membership in the visible church is like that, and it's expressed by our membership in the local church. 
Now, fourth, the meaning of the whole church, that phrase, only makes sense in the context of membership. When Paul talks about a worship service uh, of believers where unbelievers are present, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, he makes it very clear that believers are the whole church. He's telling the church leaders to be clear about who comprises the whole church. And we'll talk more about this in a minute, but it's clear from Paul's comment that there is a distinct group of people who make up the whole church. And fifth, instruction for pastoral oversight only makes sense in the context of membership. According to passages like 1 Timothy 3 that direct elders to give pastoral oversight to the church, he is to know who those people are that he is responsible for. How does a pastor take heed to himself and the flock of God if he doesn't know who's in that flock? When the writer to the Hebrews says that church members are to let their leaders do their work with joy because they have to give an account for the believers under their care, how are they able to do that without an identifiable group of people for whom they are responsible to God? Well, now this doesn't mean that they don't give some care to people outside the church as they are able, but it does mean that the pastor's primary responsibility is for those who are the members of the church under his care. And sixth, there are metaphors used to describe the local church and they only make sense in the context of membership. The New Testament uses a variety of metaphors to describe different aspects of the church, words like household or flock or building or temple and body. Now think about just one of these images, the household. Biblically, this implies a father, a mother, children, perhaps other relatives. In New Testament days, it may well have included grandmothers or grandfathers or a sister who might have been a widow without children of her own. Now imagine that you wake up one morning and you notice that you are missing one of your children. Would you, A, say to yourself, well, that's too bad, but you know, I've got plenty of others, or B, Scream for help, search high and low for this missing child and call the police. Well, B, of course, with the importance of each family member to the whole, no one is to be overlooked and to be counted invaluable. Shepherds don't overlook the lost sheep and they do everything, even risking their own lives to search for it. If the church is a body, a missing limb can be a terrible loss to the functioning of the whole body. That's how God sees his church members. And so should church members see each other that way. And last, God keeps his own registry of real countable people in heaven. And this only makes sense in the context of membership. There's a fascinating text in the Old Testament book of Malachi, and it says something important about God. And then it says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. There's, you can see the fellowship. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. So God himself keeps a list of real countable people in heaven. Hebrews confirms this when it says that believers have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now, if God keeps a list in heaven, why should we deny a list at the local level? Well, that's all for today. On the next Wisdom 828, we'll look at the benefits of church membership. I hope you join me then. 
And thanks for watching. And thanks to Steve Dion for partnering with me to help stamp out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You'll be of good cheer.